Well, we are beginning a new series today, and I'm excited about it, called Strong. Everybody say Strong. 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 Today we're going to talk about some biblical steps we can take to build a strong family. Next week is a strong marriage, and then finally a strong mind. Now, when I say family, some of you are like, Pastor, that's not the season that I'm in. You know, I'm, I'm single I, or divorced or whatever. I don't, I'm, that's not the season that I'm in. I don't, I don't, I don't have children in the home. I, uh, you know, this is not going to apply to me because I'm not in that season. Listen, the values and the principles and the things we're going to teach today are straight from the word of God and easily translate to any station, any season in life. You may have to be a little more creative, connect the dots, but you can do it. I'm going to be using family language, but that does not exclude every single one of us because the word of God applies to all of us, to all of us. Um, and then of course, you know, there are things that we're going to talk about today to consider as you pray about your future family, your future spouse. And then, of course, we say it all the time. We at New Life are a family. And so these things apply to us as a church. We are in this. We said this last week. We are in this thing together. So let's look at these points with the mindset that we are all a family and need to get stronger. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, thank you so much again for your presence. God, I pray you would anoint my lips, Kathy, as she, when she joins me as well. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would come away better and encouraged and that this would be helpful today. Lord, I pray right now, especially for those who are sick in our congregation. I know it's many that are struggling with the flu. We lift those uh, adults and children up to you. Pray that they would get better very, very quickly. And uh, we just give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, Psalm 127, 1 is kind of our theme for today. And uh, that says, unless the Lord, everybody say the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless God builds it, the people involved are laboring in vain. Now, this is construction talk. And the, the, the writer here uses this metaphor because it's, it's easy to imagine and visualize. It's a powerful metaphor. Now, some of you know this and some of you may not, but I was a licensed general contractor quite a few years ago. I had rental property. I flipped houses. I built them from the ground up. I remodeled. That was the worst decision I ever made in my life. To, anyway, the, I... I, I have friends in this room, close friends, who make a great living, are fantastic business people, their contract, nothing at all wrong with that. The problem was I was in full-time ministry at the same time. It became a distraction. The early 2000s, when the boom hit, I jumped on that, and, you know, everybody was flipping a house, didn't have any business doing it, and, you know, all this stuff, and I jumped in there, bought rental property. Actually, that was the worst decision that I ever made. But it was a distraction to me, but I learned some things. How many know, are so thankful that God can use our mistakes to better our life and to push us forward and use them anyway? Uh, not that we want to make mistakes, mind you, but God still does use those things. And I learned the process of building, and that's valuable. That's a valuable thing to understand, the process, because it is applicable to many parts of our life, the process of building, the patience that it takes the knowledge of the different things, the elements of that, and it translates spiritually so well. But you don't have to be an expert in construction to know that the most important part 
of a, of a structure is what? The foundation. The foundation. So if we're using that metaphor and we're thinking about building a strong family, we must first have a strong foundation on which to build that family, that church, that business, that whatever it is, a, a, a strong foundation. And the, the foundation we're talking about, we just sang about it, it's not a what, it's a who. You know what, it's not even the Bible. The Bible tells us about the who and instructs us about the life of the who, but without me even giving you any scripture at all, somebody shout out who the who is. Jesus, the cornerstone, the foundation. That's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 3.10. He says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation, there's our word, as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be built with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, look, you can put up different structures on top of the foundation. Every marriage looks different. Every business, every church, every family looks different, even different builders. You can have all of that being looking different and being different. But if you build on anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. That's what Jesus is teaching in one of his most famous parables in the New Testament. In Luke 6, 46, he says, so why do you keep calling me Lord? Why do you keep calling me Lord when you don't do what I say? I'll show you what it's like when someone, number one, comes to me. Number two, listens to me. And then number three, actually follows what I'm saying and applies it. He says, it's like this, verse 48, he says, it's like a person building a house, there's our metaphor, who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the flood waters, what are the flood waters? Struggles of life, uh, attacks of life, uh, crises in life, whatever, the storms up, we sang about that just a few minutes ago. He says, when the flood waters rise and break against the house, it will stand firm because it was well built. Folks, everybody look at me. That's our goal. I'm so weary of seeing families that I love, even in this church, crumble. Divorces. Families broken. It breaks my heart. The goal is to be strong and built on a firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And then he says, he flips the coin and he says, but anyone, verse 49, he says, but anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds his house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods come, when the things of life happen that are bound to happen, it will collapse in a heap of ruins. Now, I rarely use the message version. It's a paraphrase. It's, you know that. It's, it's not direct from the language, but I always read it because it's interesting. And I'm going to use this. I want you to, it's great imagery. So we're going to read 49 again in the message version. Put that on the screen. But if you just use my words in Bible studies, oh, preach, and don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter. <laughs> That's, that's kind of offensive, isn't it? 
You're like a dumb carpenter who built his house but skipped the foundation. When the, when the things of life came in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. Now, it would be much cheaper to build a house without a foundation. Those of you in construction know the foundation is one of the most expensive parts of the process. Anytime you get large machinery trying to move dirt around and pouring concrete, you're going to spend some coin. It's expensive. Devin and, and Charlie, say amen. Amen. They're building a house right now. It's expensive. But it's a lot more expensive to build a house twice. Oh, that will preach a lot better than you just... Let me let that sink again. Let me let sink in and think about the metaphor. It's a lot more expensive when we don't build the house on the rock. And we have to start over. We have to rebuild. But even in that situation, there's grace, and God will help us. Even if that's the situation you're in this morning, God will help you and give you grace to rebuild. I didn't say that in the early. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. This, this, that's good. So if we desire to build a strong family on the foundation of Jesus, and I think everybody would say yes, amen, is it not imperative that we don't let that value stop with us, but we pass it on to those coming behind us, whether they are biological children or not, spiritual children. The Bible is full of these things. Like Paul called Timothy his son, but he wasn't his biological son. He was his spiritual son. How many would say, Pastor, I believe it is absolutely, in this day and time in our culture, it is imperative that we pass these things along to those coming behind us. Come on, raise your hand if you believe that. All right, I got you. I remember every person that raised their hand because of what's coming next, okay? So it's a trick. I I totally got you there. Just remember that. You can't take it back. You raised your hand. Just keep that in your mind. For a long time, I've been hearing the same thing. We're losing our kids After they leave home, after they leave the house, after they go to college, we're losing our young adults. They're they're, they're leaving after. All the Christian talking heads are writing books and talking strategy for getting our young adults back in church. And I agree, we definitely need to have clear on-ramps and excellent ministry opportunities and ways for our young adults to come back in and serve. I agree with that. But recently, listen... I watched a video clip that really got me thinking. It was like getting, being asleep and having somebody walk up and throw cold water. Anybody ever had that happen? Not the best experience, but cold water, right? And it just got me thinking, opened my eyes. You may have seen the clip, actually. It, it went viral, but Pastor uh, Matt Chandler, the young pastor, the village church, is in this video, and and Pastor Matt pushes back on this notion, listen, that we are losing our kids after they leave. And they actually have stats and things and all of that to go with it. He does such a good job communicating this that I actually am going to show you the clip. It's about three minutes long. I'm going to show you the clip of him doing this, and then Kathy, after the the video, Kathy's going to join me on stage, and we're going to take the rest of the time to unpack what he says. But listen... Before, he wa- before we watch the clip, I need all eyes up here. I want you to hear me. 
this video and the discussion to follow is meant to be helpful, not hurtful. Everybody say that. Helpful, not hurtful. It is meant to be a conversation, not condemnation. Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Today is not about casting blame. Today is not about a guilt trip or shaming any parenting style or anything like that. If you've been here for more than a couple of weeks, you know that everything that happens from this pulpit is done with love. God has, I can't, I can't describe the supernatural love that God has put in my heart for you. It's not, it's not a physical thing. God has done a spiritual thing. So you've got to know my heart is to be helpful and not condemning in any shape, form, or fashion. Everybody on the same page? You got me? All right, let's watch the clip. Now, here's my appeal and my fear. I think Matt McCauley said this last week, and he said it last week. Matt McCauley's our family minister here at the Flower Mound campus. Uh, and so, man, we're a part of this growing young cohort uh, out at Fuller Seminary with Daryl Amon, one of our elders, Bruno, myself, uh, Chris Groover, and Matt. And, and here's what we're learning. There's data now to back this up. Kids are not being secularized in college. They're being secularized at home before they're sent to college by well-meaning Christian parents that can't tease out the value balance between sports and activities and the gathering of the people of God. Like they just get disoriented by it. And I'm watching it even play out in my children's peers. Like, look, I can use my son as an example. Like my son loves football. He loves basketball. Like he loves it. He's disciplined around it. He's eager for it. Sometimes he doesn't want to come to church. But guess who get, doesn't get to decide that? Read. You know why? Because he's 12. I don't let him choose what he gets to eat or he would eat terribly. I don't let him choose what time he can go to bed. Right? I, I don't let him handle a firearm whenever he wants to. You know why? Because I'm dad and I love him. And I've got a long view for his life that at 12, he couldn't possibly fathom. And so what ends up happening, like I'm telling you, I'm, I've got a front row seat to this right now because of the age of my kids. I, like I just hear these nonsensical things from moms and dads. It's like, oh, you know, we just, just like trying to get them out of bed on Sunday morning. It's just like a whipping. And I just, man, I just want to give him the freedom to kind of figure this stuff out. Okay, like, would you do that in any other area of your kid's life? Like, if your kid was like, you know what? School, I just can't. Mom, I just can't do it. Look, the teacher's mean. I don't even understand what she's talking about. You know, uh, out of that seven, eight-hour day, we only get to play and have fun for one 45-minute block of that. I'm just not doing it. I'm not doing it, Mom. Like, can you imagine, like, going and trying to wake up your kid for school at whatever time you got to wake him up, and them just going, no, I'm not feeling, I'm not going. Oh, okay, well, never mind then. And then you, right? Like, the, like to parent that way. And listen, I, I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm not trying to shame you. To parent this way. This is what's true about the data. Half-hearted obedience to Jesus Christ in this generation leads to full rebellion against him in the next. Now, here's what's crazy. The kingdom of God can't be stopped. So if it's not our children live faithfully to follow Jesus and make much of his name and renown, he will save from among the lost and broken so that the kingdom continues.
Don't forget, Paul didn't exist. He was Saul of Tarsus killing Christians when Steve, Stephen was martyred and they had no view of how this was going to play out. And what did God do? God saved from among the most broken and most dark for the glory of his name. Now, now I'm, I'm dedicated to as best I can, and I don't control it, helping my children see and understand what is of supreme value and what's a good gift. Like, look at me. Football is a good gift. Basketball is a good gift. Softball, soccer, good gift. Band, good gift. Terrible gods. Terrible gods. Tough video. Um, Kathy, I asked you to watch this earlier in the week and just give me your, that fresh feeling of what you were feeling when you first watched it the first time. Can you talk about that? Sure. So I, the first time that I watched this, I got real offended. I, um, like you my, are right now. Yeah, like some of you probably are. Um, no, I was real offended. And I, the first thing out of my, you know, in my head, I was like, I, who does Matt Chandler think he is telling me how to parent my kids, right? Um, and then some other things that kind of went through my mind, like, but sports and activities build character. And sports and activities um, benefit teaching discipline and cooperation and, um, you know, all of these wonderful benefits, including physical fitness and all those things. And so I really, honest to goodness, had that moment of, seriously, this is what you're going to show on a Sunday morning? Um, But then as I began to really think about it and pray about it, what I realized, first off, is that my insecurities as a parent is what caused me to be offended. My... um, the idea that, that I might be doing something wrong um, caused this, this offense to come up in me. And the more that I really thought about it, the more I prayed about it, the more I realized that Matt, he's not attacking the activities. He's not attacking the, the sports and those things. What I feel like and what I hope that we do today is encourage an evaluation. Where do we place those things in our children's lives? How, um, how important are we saying those are over the things that are eternal? Because this is temporary. These sports and activities is very temporary. But, but our kids' souls are an eternal situation. Amen. Amen. So we're going to take our, the rest of the time just to unpack some of the things that he said and try to work through them. And again, this is to be helpful. This is to, to have a conversation. This is, uh, here's, the, here's the thing. I don't think I would ever attempt this sermon, this whatever this is, conversation, if we weren't right in the middle of it ourselves. That's the station, the season of life that we are in with our kids. And that's really the only reason I feel like we can say anything because it's so sensitive. So number one, he says, uh, there is now hard data, studies, that suggests kids are not being secularized in college, but at home... By the way, they are being secularized in college as well. But at home, by well-meaning Christian parents who haven't learned how to tease out the value between sports and activities and the gathering of the people of God. In other words, Christian parents are prioritizing sports and other outside activities, and you can fill in the blank, dance, cheer, band, sports, basketball, baseball, whatever, soccer, over over, prioritizing over our Sunday morning gathering, okay? Uh, 
And he's saying, and he's saying that by making that decision to prioritize these things above the attendance in church and being a part of the church, it's act, that's what's causing the problem. That's what's in our, in our kids. Their kids are watching that, and they're taking that in, and they're, they're, they're basically saying that's obviously more important than church. Obviously more important. Um, now, you don't have to agree with all of that yet, but does that make sense? Okay. Now, we're going to move to this next point, but uh, before we do, I want to throw out a Greek word to you, and that word is ekklesia. Everybody say that with me. Ekklesia. And that's where we get our word church, and it literally means called out to an assembly or a gathering. Called out to an assembly or a gathering, folks. You can spend quiet time with God in the woods, but you cannot experience ecclesia alone in the woods. You cannot experience ecclesia without gathering together as the body of Christ. And Hebrews instructs us to not forsake the gathering together as believers. Okay, so uh, let's move on. That's just food for thought. Number two. He says a child should not be the primary decision maker when it comes to church attendance. And he also throws in there, you know, what they eat, what time they go to bed, whether to handle a firearm, you know, all those, all those things. Um, now, obviously, as a child gets his, his, I think his oldest is 12, so that's pretty young. As a child gets older, we have to let them make more decisions and give them more freedom as they're able to do that responsibly. So keep that in mind. But I love what he has to say here. Look at the screen. He says, I have a long view or a long vision for my child that he could not possibly imagine imagine or fathom. So as his loving father, I make those decisions for him. Now that's powerful parenting language. That's not friendship language. Folks, we can't be our kids' friends. We want them to like us. And I think, for the most part, my girls like me most of the time and, and us, but it, not always. I promise you. That's to, for them to like us is not the goal. We've got to be their parents and not just their friends. And that goes for, okay, yeah, go ahead. That's all right. Thank you, Debbie. <laughs> and that goes for youth leadership. That goes for any number of teacher. Students, whatever, a lot of, a lot of areas right there. Um, Kathy, comment on this? Sure. So as a teacher, just imagine, I, can he- I hear all sorts of great excuses about um, absences or attendance in school and uh, schoolwork and even behavior. Um, oftentimes I have to be very careful to control my face because my eyes can tend to roll with certain excuses. But... Um, as a parent, you know, Alan and I, um, I want to be able to communicate this well, but as a parent, we probably let our girls make decisions that many of you would not let your children make, and that's okay. So, for example, I've never been a huge stickler about controlling or telling them how to dress for church. Not all of you would agree with that. That's okay. Um, within parameters, I see them smiling, so... I have to... One of them was in a halter top before we, we left the house. Be that would be a sure. problem. <laughs> um, would not happen. Other areas that we've allowed them to make decisions are how they spend their money. 
or uh, when they choose to do homework. It's just they do the homework because if there's a bad grade because they didn't do homework, well, then we have problems. Um, so there's, there's all sorts of things that we've allowed them, even at a young age, to sort of make decisions about. And the more they do that in a good way, the more decisions they get to make on their own. Um, but there have always been some non-negotiables. So things that we don't negotiate about first is church. They are expected at church. Um, I won't tell, we, I'm going to tell on you, Rachel. So Rachel says last night, Mom, I'm really not feeling well. I just think, I think I may just stay at home. And I said, no, you're not staying at home. And then this morning before I left, I walked in and I said, uh, I will see you at church today because there's no fever, so be sure you're there. And she's here. Anyway, um, church is non-negotiable. Other, yes, other things that are non-negotiable. School, non-negotiable. We go to school at my house. (laughs) Again, you better have a fever. Um, Yeah. Other non-negotiables, respect. They're going to respect us. And those are lines that we're not going to allow them to cross. So we have determined with them that there are things you get to make decisions about, but there are some things that we, you don't get to make a decision about. That's right. And uh, believe me, you know, we're still working this thing out. We've been parents a long time. Um, we have an adopted son who's 33, so a long time. But, oh, my goodness, still making <laughs> mistakes daily, right? Amen. Can I get parents to help me? Okay, thank you. Uh, but it's a process, but you, we can't just be their friends. We've got to be their parents, and there's some decisions that are just non-negotiable. Number three uh, point is this quote. Uh, And this is a powerful and probably one of the reasons that I chose to do the video. He says, here's what's true about the data or the studies. He says, half-hearted obedience to Jesus Christ in this generation, us, leads to full rebellion against him in the next. That's encouraging, isn't it? Aren't you glad you got out in the rain to hear that? Um, But, you know, that, that speaks for itself to a degree. When we're not fully, when we, the adult, is not fully committed to our walk, when we're not fully committed to connect to the body of Christ and to be involved and to serve, and then we live that out in front of our kids. Now, here's the scary thing, that it, what he's saying. He's not saying that the next generation is just going to slip a little bit. They're not just going to be a little bit less committed than we are. They're saying they're going to lose their faith altogether. That's why we have to have these tough conversations. That's why we, we're having this conversation. Because the data is, if they're seeing this, they're not just going to slip a little, they're going to they're gonna be gone. And how many have seen this play out? I mean, honestly, how many have seen this play out? It's true. Nobody's raising their hand, but that's fine. Um, I, I lost the, oh yeah. Uh, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. You know, Sunday morning, or Sunday, even in the secular world, was still kind of guarded and a little bit sacred. I played sports in elementary school, middle school, high school, and never had to choose between a game or church. Never did. Never, not once. And there was no such thing as travel ball. Weekend tournaments, spending 
thousands of dollars for a child to travel all over the southeast and play every sport or dance or cheer or whatever it is. I've got two close friends, close friends, who both of these families spend over $16,000 a year for travel ball. Um, and before you throw tomatoes at me, for, you know, because I know, I'm, I, this is real, folks. I'm, I, we, we, Rachel is in travel ball. She's in soccer. So, look, I, I get it. This is not a condemning thing. We're just having a conversation. We've got to have. We've got to have. The, the, the culture is not all of a sudden going to go, oh, wow, what a mistake we're making, and change their mind. It's not going to happen. And what I'm saying is we can't stick our head in the sand Look at, I'm getting ahead of myself. Look, look at the screen. Pointing fingers and casting blame will do us no good. That's not what today's about. But doing nothing will teach our children that we care more about their activities than their faith. We can't ignore this. We can't let it continue. We must approach this with intentionality and care. Because... We're both for the activities. We are both for the sports and the things. We're, we're, we're living proof of that. But we must have a plan. Listen to me, folks. We must have a plan. Look at the screen. We must have a plan that protects the integrity of their faith and connection to the body of Christ. We must have a plan. We can't allow this godless culture to swallow up our kids alive and spit out their faith. Come on. Everybody's afraid to clap. <laughs> Come on, we're in this thing together. Why don't you, Kathy, your final comments, if you would, on how we kind of as a family have navigated these tough waters. Sure. And we're still figuring it out. Sure. So uh, to kind of prove the point that it's very different now than it even was, say, just 20 years ago, um, our son Chuck, when he was going through you know, he played baseball, was very talented, all of those things, but we never had to choose between even Wednesday nights for him. So, you know, they didn't even play on Wednesday night because so many went to church and that sort of thing. Um, as Ashley was coming up, Wednesday nights became an issue on occasion, not even that often, but on occasion that was an issue, but still Sunday was never an issue. Um, once Sarah and Sarah started dancing and doing competitive dance, we recognized, hey, this is interfering a little bit. You know, we, we would look at it and we would go, oh, this is going to take away about three Sundays and a couple of Wednesdays. Um, how are we going to talk about that? So we would talk about it a little bit, but we felt like three Sundays in a year, we could accept that. So we went ahead and allowed that. But as Rachel has started playing soccer and doing some travel soccer, uh, we really had to evaluate how are we going to handle this. So what we determined was when the schedule came out, first and foremost, if her practice was going to be on a Wednesday night, she was not going to play. So we just ahead of time said she cannot practice on Wednesdays. Um, so far, that has not been too terribly big of an issue. Um, but we would take her schedule, we would look at the schedule, and, and we, would, we just went to the coach ahead of time and explained our convictions and said, you know, if there's this too many Sundays, she's not going to play. She's not going to play on those Sundays. So we kind of looked at the schedule and said, okay, we see this is going to interfere with two Sundays. Are we okay with that? And we've had to really talk about and evaluate that. And we have said no on a Sunday or two. 
Um, she's got a tournament coming up at the end of February that we are right now trying to decide, okay, are we going to do this or are we going to tell the coach no? Um, and so we're in the process of doing that. So our plan has just been let's talk about it with her involved in that conversation, understanding this is not a good thing that it's taking you out of church. Now, that doesn't mean she doesn't play on Sundays. Um, I don't know how many of you have probably seen her come in in her soccer uniform. We, we come to early service, and then we go play, or we go play, and then we come to second service, or she'll play late in the afternoon, whatever that case may be. But um, we are very, very adamant that she be in church as way more often than she misses church because of soccer. So she may miss one a season, which is about two a year that we have said would be acceptable for us. Now, um, as I was thinking about all of this, I know there's a bigger challenge for families who have multiple children in similar age ranges that are all playing different sports, right? Not everybody is in our boat where it's just one child. It's a little easier to navigate when it's just one. But when you have multiple children that are playing, you may have three or four Sundays in a row that it's not the same child. It's a different child. Um, what I would say to you first is you need to utilize your village, right? So your child may have to miss one, but your others don't. Call on your village to get them to church so that they're not missing. And when you do that, what you're saying to your children is, it is so important to me that I'm going to call upon friends and family to make sure you're where you need to be. Does that make sense? Um, I also hear and I know that whole thought and idea that, well, travel ball is how we get college scholarships, how we get that paid. Guys, I get that. I completely get that. I totally understand it. And I'm just going to toss this out here and don't be mad at me, but who are you trusting in, right? Um, remember that if God chooses for your child to use that gift in college and even beyond, he will make a way for that because he wants your child to walk in their purpose. And he wants them to have a platform. And what a wonderful, awesome, amazing platform for your children. But you cannot parent out of fear. And when you say we have to do this because of this future thing, look at it and just ask yourself, is it because I'm afraid of missing an opportunity? Because God will supply and provide for that. Yeah, we're talking about foundation. What's the foundation? What's the foundation? What are, we, what are we standing on when it comes to this stuff? Give it up for my wife, Kathy. Thank you so much. Awesome. Pastor, Pastor Matt's final point is our big idea. If you look at the screen, sports and other activities are good gifts, but terrible gods. We must help our children understand the difference. We must, whether they are biological children or children that you're responsible for, uh, young adults, whatever, we have to help them differentiate the difference. We have to make sure that the foundation is Christ and not anything else. Like I said before, this is not just for parents. This translates to every person in the room. How do your actions support your convictions? 
I mean, I may say I value the church, that I value connection to the body of Christ. I may say I'm committed to a daily walk, but how, how is my life living up to that? What, what kind of example am I actually setting for everyone around me? I'm not going to put it on the screen again, but let me remind you what Jesus says in Luke 6, 46. He says, guys, why do you keep calling me Lord when you're not doing what I'm asking you to do, when you're not doing it, when you're not living it out? If you do live it out, your life is going to be built on a solid foundation. But if you don't, there's not going to be a foundation and it will come crumbling down. So whether you have biological kids or, or not, or you know, how, many, how many want to be an example to those coming up behind us? Come on. I, let's just clap our hands for that. Let's let them know. This is important. This is important. Because here's the deal. The church is the hope of the world. I got three amens. The church is the hope of the world, not baseball or basketball or soccer or dance. A church full of imperfect people built on a perfect foundation. Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone can make our families strong. Strong. Now I'm finished, but I've got one challenge for you, and this is the whole deal. If this... And I, I, like I said at the beginning, this, this message is going to hit people in a different way, different seasons of your life, okay? We're right in the middle of it, okay? So this hits us, and that's why we're dealing with it. But if this hit home or struck a nerve, whatever you want to call it, I've got a challenge. Don't ignore it. Sit down and have a conversation with your family. Come on, just have a conversation. Just by you sitting down with your children and having this conversation to let them know, hey, you know what? We can't always play on Sunday. This is not a good thing that they have this schedule on Sunday. But we, you know what? We're going to work around. We're going to do this. We're not going to do this. We're going to do this. Just you going through that process will speak volumes to them about the importance and the priority of the body of Christ and their faith. Make a plan and stick to it. Make a plan and stick to it.